answer is coming. You're listening to the Watchers of Westeros. I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. I've also heard the phrase, Lannister always pays his debt. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Watchers of Westeros, a Game of Thrones podcast. You are in the right place if you're looking for some discussion about episode six of season six, Blood of My Blood. We are past the halfway point. Things are heating up. Got some interesting twists and turns this week. This is a, a another. This is a rarity. This season is, is is odd, where characters aren't dying. Instead, we're getting them back. This is the second time we've gotten a character back this season. Now, it's a it in a slightly less familiar character than Jon Snow, although. A fairly important one, if you remember back to the early days of the series. And we'll talk about all this and so much more here this week. But first, introductions are in order. If you are, if you are new to the program or you have forgotten who we are, that can happen sometimes. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, it's my good friend and co-host, the award-winning Kieran Duggan. Hello again, everyone. And yeah, you said it, Dominic. Um, there has been a bit of a kind of shortage of deaths this season, you know? Yeah. I feel like well, we've gotten some some deaths, but we we have. But overall, you know, if we're talking about big deaths, I mean, I guess, I guess last episode we had a lot, so yeah, we had... maybe this episode was to compensate that yeah. fact <laughs> by killing no one, basically, pretty, pretty much, uh, yeah. other than whites, which you know that that, that that never goes amiss. To be fair, mm-hmm. nothing to be sniffed about. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, uh, in terms of this episode in particular, I, I found it very, very enjoyable to be fair. And although, as we said, there might have been a lack of deaths and you know, I feel like there's almost been more illnesses on this podcast in the last couple of uh, weeks than there have been on the show. But um, yeah, there's a lot of good that's, that, that, that we get to talk about hopefully in this episode, particularly with the whole brand stuff, King's yeah. Landing and Aria. But um Looking forward to this one, I have to say, Dominic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is, this might be a first where there's been a Game of Thrones episode where not, not a single character died, and instead we got one back. We got one back, and we'll, we might as well start there. Let's start there with, uh, of course, picking up where we left off last week, Beyond the Wall with Bran and Mira on the run after Hodor's heroic sacrifice. Uh, they are being chased by whites, and in comes a mysterious man on a horse who fights off the whites and helps them to safety later on in the episode when we cut back to them it is revealed to be bran and john and Arya and, and sansa and rickon and well rob but he's dead now uh but it's 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 uncle benjen uncle benjen who was a, a big part of the first three episodes of the series and uh then disappeared not to be seen for uh, the better part of five seasons which is um 
impressive. Uh, that's a that's a that's a ballsy move to bring back a character <laughs> who hasn't been seen in o- over fifty episodes. I want to say uh, that that's pretty impressive. Uh, were you surprised at the return of Uncle Benjamin? Absolutely. Um, I I don't know about you, and I'll, I'll I'll throw this question to you in a second, but I discovered it was Uncle Benjamin the first time we actually saw the character on screen. It, it was a bit weird, but surprisingly, the character's voice somehow resonated with me. Uh, you know, it was quite evocative of Benjamin of season one, i.e. it was quite explicitly Benjamin's voice, um, even though his whole face was pretty much covered. Mm-hmm. And I guess it makes a lot of sense that Benjamin would have to be the one to come back because in that particular moment when Mira and Bran were seemingly at, you know they, they were they were kind of stranded there there was there, how, how the hell were they going to get out you know there were whites uh, in their masses chasing them and they didn't have any weapons to fight off against them mm-hmm. something big had to happen but also something that wouldn't seem a bit too coincidental um and i i think benjin kind of ticks a lot of those boxes but um i guess before we go further into benjin as, as a character and, and kind of what his return means what were you surprised were you shocked when you saw benjin and, and did you guess it was benjin the first time you saw him before he actually took the kind of balaclava off <laughs> Yeah, well, I had I had heard some speculation that that's who that might be, and and it makes sense. You know, that's a character who they made a big deal about his disappearance, and um, it was something we were reminded of last season when uh, you know that was what that was the trick that lured Jon Snow into the trap to be stabbed by his uh, by his Night's Watch brothers. There's a great meme going around <laughs> of uh, it's Bran. Uh, it's two pictures. The top picture is Bran. He's saying, hey, John, Benjamin's alive. And the second picture is John going, ha, I'm not falling for that one again. Um, so uh, it, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a good, uh, it was a good return. It was something I, I think that was a mystery that, that needed to be uh, resolved eventually. And it will be interesting to see how he affects things going forward. Obviously we needed some sort of um, authority figure with, with these two to kind of guide them uh, some, a mentor figure, I think is a better, a better term now that we've lost uh, Max von Sydow as the, as the three eyed Raven. Uh, and so now we've, we've got uncle Benjamin. He's going to lead them to the wall and, and, and head South and Hey, maybe we'll get that reunion between John and Benjamin uh, that, that we, uh, we never got after they were pretty close, pretty tight early on in the series. So, so yeah, so, so it's nice to have him back as a nice little surprise there uh, mostly. Uh, but the other thing that we got beyond the wall is it's not so much be that, that it's beyond the wall, but it was brands visions that he got and he's still, apparently downloading <laughs> that's the term they keep using uh all of the information from three-eyed raven and we got quite the flashbacks quite the flashbacks not only of stuff we have seen like the red wedding danny and her dragons uh ned being beheaded the flashback to the tower of joy uh but we also got our first look at the mad king you know this is a guy they've talked about a lot 
uh, over the last uh, several uh, several seasons. Uh, and now there he is on his throne yelling, burn them all, as he famously did before Jamie Lannister stabbed him in the back. Another thing that we saw in the uh, in the vision. Uh, what did you make of this uh, this pretty cool montage of uh, the history of Westeros? It was fantastic, and it, it really generated a lot of curiosity in not just my mind, but I think most Game of Thrones fans' mm-hmm. mindset. Because although there were a lot of clips we had seen before, there were a lot of uns- there was a lot of unseen footage. But the way Game of Thrones works as well, you know, the clips that we've already seen and perhaps recycled over, I think they were extremely poignant moments. So they were moments of significance, like the beheading of Ned Stark, Catelyn Stark's death was seen, yeah, the dragons, the White Walkers, you know. Okay, yes, we're used to seeing them, but for for Bran's character development, he's now seen what we have seen, mm-hmm. and there must be some sort of connection between those moments, you know, why are they all kind of flashing back together? So that's one aspect. But the other dimension to consider is, as you say, the Mad King. Um, The fact that we get to see him, we get to see the wildfire, uh, which we can assume was around his time. So the wildfire that Jamie Lannister said the, the Mad King had and he was prepared to kind of burn the whole cities to the ground. Um, I know the, and, and then seeing the actual action of, of, of him being stabbed and Jamie then sitting on the throne. Yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> and I don't know whether there's a lot of foreshadow there as much as just looking at the past, but I, I, I found it extremely fascinating. And I feel like that whole sequence kind of generated more questions and actually gave me answers which is always a good thing really because um it shows that there's a lot of potential to those storylines and we haven't even gotten to looking at the whole uh ned um and and, and his sister stuff as well because that i believe came up at two points in the flashbacks yeah well we saw um, yeah we saw the the young ned stark from a few weeks ago from episode three but then there's mm-hmm. a then there's a shot that uh, people it's very very quick. I mean, I watched I saw somebody put up a slow motion version of the vision. Yeah. And I watched that and even that was moving too fast for me. <laughs> it was sort of like I need every frame individually, please. Um but it was uh it, it was somebody uh looking over a, a body and there was a lot of blood and they they noticed that the armor or that the 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 shirt or whatever you want to call it the guy is wearing in this uh quick shot of his arm is very similar to what ned was wearing in those uh uh in the flashback at the to the tower of joy so um the speculation is that he is looking over uh liana's body uh because uh, you know she's she's up in the tower and she dies uh up there cause of death still unknown to us uh well really unknown to everybody except ned um, and I guess Howland Reed. So we have a we have a situation. So that's that's the other thing that comes up now. One theory that I've I've read uh, a lot this week, and this ties into last week's episode and the whole Hodor incident and the uh, Bran messing with with time and and creating this this uh, creating Hodor basically. And the idea is that maybe the Mad King goes mad because of Bran's time 
time messing. You know, his his uh his uh you know, he goes back in time and he somehow messes with the Mad King the same way he did with uh poor Willis. And part of the evidence for this theory is that the Mad King is uh gathering wildfire which we see in the flashback and this wildfire would then supposedly be used for the upcoming war with the white walkers the idea being that bran traveling back in time would somehow interact with the mad king and let him know that this was going to happen that this uh that 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 this uh war was going to going to come but of course the way the time travel works that wouldn't just allow the mad king to take that information uh simply and and uh prepare quietly he would go crazy the way that hodor did uh what before i before i comment on it i'm, I'm curious what, what what do you think of that theory that bran essentially creates the mad king the same way he created hodor it's an interesting one. I, I've also heard that theory, and if you hadn't brought it up, then I certainly would have done. I I do think that the the timing of of the episodes is quite interesting because, of course, we have just seen the whole Hodor incident, and then we go straight into looking at the Mad King in flashbacks. And I do wonder whether that could be um, deceptive in a way. You know, because it's kind of fresh in our minds, we may just be looking and thinking, oh, well, this is what could have happened to the Mad King. I'm, I could certainly see it being a possibility, but I'm not really sure, to be honest. I feel like it's, it, it, it could work on two levels, you know, perhaps on a very superficial level, it's just that Bran is learning a lot about the world. And he's learning about the history and the past of Westeros. And he's he's kind of going through all of the big moments uh, that have kind of happened in the past. But, you know, again, I kind of look at the main aspects which were focused on in the visions. Um, the, the Mad King, the White Walkers, the dragons and his family. That was kind of the big four themes or like aspects i could see mm -hmm. yeah. as a kind of constant throughout so i'm intrigued to know more about what you know what the mad king's all about and you know the fact that they managed to get that actor in i mean i'm sure he didn't just do that <laughs> small so, i mean he could have done yeah yeah burn them all <laughs> uh, you know i mean he could have just done that scene but i feel like the fact that we saw the uh that kind of burn them all moment in the three kind of vision scenes that Bran had, because he kind of went into one vision, went back to Mira, Bran had another vision, and then you go back to Mira. So I I am curious. So I can't I can't really give you a straight answer. I, I would quite like it to be that there's a kind of secondary message here that the Mad King did go mad because of Bran's actions. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm not so sure it's as simple as that. But on the other hand, I don't think it's as simple as, oh, well, Bran's just learning about what happened to the Mad King. But yeah. I'm curious to know your, your views and comments on that whole sequence. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a situation where I, I kind of equate that theory to um, the theory that, that Tyrion is a secret Targaryen. Um, it's interesting. It's a kind of a cool idea. But I, I, I feel like it, it takes something away 
from the series if if that's the case you know I, i'm not i'm not against uh, i'm not against this necessarily but i, I feel like it, it it maybe robs uh jamie a little bit of of his storyline uh of you know making this the decision to end this uh this man's life uh not if his if it wasn't just pure cruelty that he was trying to um force upon the people of Westeros i think it's a it would be better served the story is better served um if he's just mad if he's just a cruel cruel man who enjoys burning people and and that's the other thing you know people people are pointing to this as maybe part of the reason they went mad but you know he burned he burned uh, ned stark's father and, and brother so he's, he's not it's not like he's he's misunderstood it's not he's it's not a situation like hodor where he's misunderstood he is a bad dude and and i i feel like bran maybe learned the lesson with hodor to to not do this sort of messing again so i i think uh i think that obviously there's something to this there's there's something to why we're seeing this other than maybe or you know maybe it just because it looks cool but i i don't think that's it and you know it's, it's sort of the same thing as the the Tyrion as a targaryen thing you know it, it, it um it would be interesting it would it would uh, make certain lines very interesting like uh tywin's last line um but i uh at the end of the day i think it it takes away from their relationship i think their relationship is a lot stronger Tyrion and tywin it's a lot stronger a lot more devastating when he says that when he says you're no son of mine um if he truly is his son so i i i look at it kind of through that same lens where there it's an interesting theory uh to, to say the least but it, it i don't think it serves the story the best i think i'm in agreement with you i think we kind of agree on the fact that there is significance to the fact that we see the flashbacks of the Mad King because the, the fact that they actually filmed that, which we have to assume they've only done for this season, in itself showcases its its importance because most of the flashback scenes were just uh, you know shots of previous seasons that we'd already seen. Mm-hmm. You know, these ones were fresh, they were new, and that's why they stuck out to us. So there is some significance to it. But I agree with you. I'm not sure whether people's interpretation of, of, of Bran apparently causing the madness, I'm not sure whether that's correct. I feel like there's more to be uncovered and revealed yet. It's a bit too early, really, to kind of... Um, mm-hmm. you know, have, well, have any concrete speculation about it. Yeah, and, and maybe... Maybe what they're trying to do is draw a connection between the Targaryens of the past and the Targaryen of the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talked last week a little bit about the possibility of, of Danny being a villain. And let's just jump to the end of the episode. Uh, we'll start at the beginning and jump to the end. Um, with Danny's scene there with the Dothraki, where she, um, she finds Drogon, who's just hanging out around the corner, apparently. Um, and she gives this big rousing war speech, essentially uh, inspiring the Dothraki to uh, go to Westeros and invade. And it's, it's, uh, I'll be honest, I didn't really, I didn't, this scene felt a bit unnecessary to me. I didn't think it was super, uh, I didn't think it was, it, it, it felt, 
yeah, it didn't feel necessary. It didn't feel like something that we really needed to see. It, it, it kind of, in a way, it felt a bit like a repeat of what we saw a couple of weeks ago when she walked out of the mm-hmm. fire. Um, but it looked cool. The the effects on Drogon were fantastic. It was great performances. Um, but she's up there giving that speech, and before that, she's having the conversation with Dario Naharis about. Um, you know what her goals are and, and and he says he calls her a conqueror and during her speech she you know tells the dothraki to basically go in and, and destroy not we're going to go in and liberate but we're going to go in and destroy this more and more it's looking like that this is her story and, and there's a, there's a real tragedy to it of somebody who tried to do things good to, to do things the right way tried to be a good person and instead just got caught up in the in the search for power in a way it's it's very uh it's very anakin skywalker mm. i mean I'm, I'm not so sure she will quite follow the same path as uh, mr anakin skywalker no I not necessarily not. i don't think she's going to get a, a a black helmet and suit and have a breathing problem and that sort of thing but you know you know, maybe she'll get strange, too, maybe she'll get too close to to one of her dragons one of these days, and she'll well, need one. That that could be an interesting subplot if ever there was one in, in Game of Thrones. Never out the realms of possibility in Game of Thrones, though. <laughs> um, I I agree with you though about the the scene in general. I just felt it was very much shoehorned in there, yeah. and I didn't like the fact that it was the final scene of the episode. Yeah. Because a bit like you, not only did I feel it was unnecessary, but I actually think it took away from the Benjamin Stark reveal. Yep. I think that would have been a better way to end the episode mm-hmm. and would have been quite a nice climax. Yep. Whereas this one, I was like, haven't we seen it? A bit like you, number one, haven't we seen this before? And number two, I'm just getting a bit fed up now with Daenerys' storyline of constant rhetoric and no action. Yeah, well, you know, She's given these speeches, but what has she actually done? Yeah. Not a lot this I, season. Uh, yeah. I'm hoping that we're headed, you know, obviously she's finally going to go to Westeros. I think she has to, so. has to this time, but there's still the, the deal of what's going on in Marine and, and how is, how is that going to wrap up? What is, and I think before she goes to Westeros, she has to go to Marine one more time and uh, her and Tyrion have to have a, a throwdown over, um, policy and practice and how to how to how to deal with this sort of thing and i think that should that happen if that happens when that happens uh will give us a real good indication of where her story is ultimately going Mm. well i think it's interesting isn't it when you look at Daenerys this season, although she hasn't really done much, I guess, in my opinion. Okay, yes, she's got the Dothraki on her side, which is a big thing, but it seems to have drawn out quite a long time this season. You know, we're we're over the halfway stage and Daenerys is, you know, she's still with the Dothraki. Um, (laughs) But it's interesting, isn't it, to kind of look at the the symbols of, of, of Daenerys Targaryen, you know, she's got the Seven Sons, the Unsullied, the Dothraki. You know, these are all militaristic characters. They're all, you know, violence is kind of their memo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of, you know, peacekeepers at the moment. You've got kind of Tyrion and Varys, and they're struggling. So calling her a conqueror is not 
a far-fetched suggestion at all. Yep. What it does demonstrate to me is when she's going to Westeros, as you say, is she going to liberate it or is she going to conquer it? At the moment, I would say more conquer because yep. the Dothraki are well, the and, people and the th- who and you're going to kind of tame and be like, right, welcome to Westeros. Now you've got to abide by these set of rules that I have put in place. Um, no more raping, no more yeah. pillaging. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and the thing is, uh, last season or two seasons ago, I would have said she's going as a liberator, in her mind at least. But now it it seems, and I think that's a very important shift is in her thinking about it. it. Is she's not going as a liberator anymore? She's going as a conqueror. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see where that takes her as you say we've still got to go and see what happens in marine yet and i don't know about you but i just have this feeling we're not going to see danny go to westeros until (laughs) next season until next season well she she i hate to say it but i just feel like she's going to go to marine and sort that whole mess out that'll be the end of that Mm. yeah well she does say she needs a thousand ships if only if only there was some crazy dude with a wild mustache who ordered his people to make a thousand ships. If only there was yeah. uh, one of those out there. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I guess I it's going to take, uh, it's going to take at least a season to, to build a thousand ships, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, we're going to, I think we're going to be here a while. I mean, yeah. I don't think we need to transition to many of your own scenes anytime soon, but yeah. there we go. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. D- Danny's story just in general has always been a very, very interesting one, a very different one. Uh, in fiction is just because she's always been so separated from all the other characters. You know, she, she didn't meet um, Tyrion until season, until last season. And that was a huge deal because up until then, the only other person from Westeros that she'd met in the course of the series and somebody that we knew from Westeros was, was Barristan Selmy. You know, it wasn't like she was hanging out with Jon Snow or, or Jamie Lannister or Cersei or something. You know, she was very much she's very much been isolated for six seasons now. Um, and and obviously for just as many books. Uh, and and it's it's a very interesting uh, storytelling device to do this. And it, it, I, I do think that maybe it's beginning to run its course, that it, it is time to start incorporating her more into the main story and i think they they're aware of that and that's why Tyrion showed up last season um instead of uh you know this season or or not showing up at all um but it 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 is kind of strange that they've uh that the way they've done this to keep the to keep her separated and and you know the way george rr martin has done this and uh for the most part, I would say it's worked and, and it's been very interesting to have this character who's talking about what's going on over, over there and, and wants to be a player in it, but is so far away from it. So it, it, it's been interesting, but I, I do, th- I, I am with you. I think it's, it's time, you know, now that, you know, she's gone full circle, you know, she started with the Dothraki and she's wound up back there. She's gone full circle. It's time for her to, to head to Westeros. And, and I think it's, you know, I'm not. I'm not again. I'm not complaining about the the all the seasons in between there. I think if she does go and become sort of a villainous character, I think that's a very interesting journey, a very tragic journey. Um, uh, but it is it is kind of getting to that point where maybe she should invade now. You know, she's been waiting. A lot of stuff, a lot of crazy things have happened in Westeros <laughs> over the last few years. Maybe it's time for her to to go in there and and break that wheel, as she's been saying. 
Yeah. Well, we shall hopefully find out sooner rather than later. But as I said, my prediction is that we will not be seeing Danny enter Westeros until next season. I hope I'm proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's quickly uh, let's quickly talk about what went down at the Twins this week. Really, a, a lot of uh, exposition for next week. I think uh, you know we were we saw Lord Walder again, Walder Frey back um, again. They're talking about the Blackfish and and the fact that they've uh, retaken River Run. Uh, the the banner the Brotherhood without banners gets a uh, name dropped in there, uh, and mm-hmm. then it's revealed that Ed- Edmure Tully, uh, who was uh, you know, he, it was the red wedding was his wedding, uh, has been prisoner of the phrase for the last uh, three seasons now. Um, really, I, I got the impression that this is mostly just to, to set up next week. But uh, what did you make of, of, of this scene? I quite enjoyed it. I, I actually was put in, in, in the episode in quite, a, in quite a good way because it, it kind of set up what, as you say, what was going to happen next episode, but also Jamie's involvement in it. So I think it was quite important to, to go back to the phrase. Um, I was a little bit surprised, you know, we saw the kind of clip in the trailer that the phrase have only been in, uh, reintroduced now, I should say. Um, you know, we haven't actually seen him since the end of season three. But then I guess that's the same with the Blackfish. I mean, he's kind of been a, a, a sort of vengeance stark type character in yeah. the sense that you know we saw him then he just disappeared hear his name here and there and we still haven't actually seen him although we, we know that we'll, we'll be seeing him next episode um it kind of just reminded the audience that the scene of water fray is being you know well let, let's just say he has absolutely no decorum um about him <laughs> that's for sure and it's it, it kind of sets up the context about the fact that River Run is now the Tullys and letting us know that Edmure Tully is prisoner. Although having said that, if 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 people thought that he wasn't prisoner after what happened at the Red <laughs> Wedding, I would be absolutely well, shocked. And, it was either it was either prison or death. <laughs> I think is yeah. uh, what you expect for that guy. What about you? What did you what did you make of the scene? Yeah, do you, you think it was? worthy of, of being put in this episode or, sure. do, or do you would you rather just not seen it no I, I think we needed it i think we needed to set up what's going to happen next week i think we needed to re- revisit these characters it's been a while since we saw them last so i i, I do think it's a, it's a, it was a, an important scene and a and a useful scene but it wasn't uh it, it wasn't hugely important in, to the episode it, it's just kind of getting us ready for the next three episodes or the next three or four episodes as we uh, close out the season. Yeah. I mean, I have to say in terms of Edmure Tully, I, it sounds, maybe it sounds daft, but I know it was supposed to be quite dramatic, his, his entrance, but yeah. I, I really <laughs> do not care for his character, to be honest. I uh, guess he made a, he, you know, he's made an absolute hash of things in season three, you know, yeah. when it was the funeral cat's father, he couldn't even fire the arrows <laughs> properly. Yeah. And he um, made blunderous tactical decisions on the battlefield. So, I mean, do I really care if he dies? And he may well die next episode. Not really. I mean, I quite I quite like the Blackfish, but Edmure Tully, 
Yeah. And he didn't even... He, the only reason why he wanted to marry one of the three girls is because he thought she looked pretty. Yeah. So <laughs> he's kind of got his just desserts. Yeah. To say it. Yeah. So uh, we'll move on from there. Let's go to let's go to Horn Hill, somewhere new. Uh, mm-hmm. Sam and Gilly uh, reunited or united or meet up with uh, uh, Sam's family. And uh, just as Sam described, his uh, his mother and sister are lovely, and his father is a jackass, is awful. Um, and, and we get this this really interesting scene of. Uh, uh, Randall Tarley basically insulting Sam and and and, he's, and uh, Gilly stands up for him, only to reveal that she is actually a wildling, uh, which is something that Randall Tarley hates because that's the kind of guy he is. So he he banishes Sam and allows Gilly to uh, to work in the kitchens, which you know, <laughs> I, I guess you know there are worse fates. Although it's sort of implied that he would probably wind up, she would probably meet an quote unquote accident um and so sam eventually decides that you know what sam that gilly and little sam they're gonna come with him to molestown and uh as they as they leave they steal um heartsbane the valyrian steel sword that belongs to randall tarley so another valyrian steel sword um I love I loved these scenes. I thought these scenes were really really fun. I thought they were really cool to. It was really cool to see uh, Sam's story, and uh, you know, people have pointed out the fact that this is, you know, one part of the world of of Westeros that hasn't really been impacted by the war, hasn't been impacted by all the madness that's been going on, and as a result, it's it it, it seems at first like a, a like a nice place until you meet. Uh, Randall Tarley, but it, again, this this scene, these scenes, as, as the Sam Gilly scenes this season have kind of stuck out as being, um, so separate. It, it kind of like the uh, the Danny scenes; they've they've stuck out as being very very separate from everything else that's going on. And I obviously Heartsbane the the sword is going to uh, play a role somewhere down the line. I, I saw someone describe it as uh, Chekhov's uh, Valyrian steel sword, which is a pretty good a uh, pretty good a uh, um, comparison to the the Chekhov's gun idea. Um, and, and so it's a uh, I like the scenes, but they did stick out a bit to me. Uh, did did you get that as as well? Yeah, I agree. They they stuck out, but I I thought they were great and. It, it was nice to see a bit of character development for for Sam and Gilly's side, to be honest, because we'd, we'd heard a lot about his father, Randall Tarley, particularly in the first uh, season when yeah, he seemed like a, a very much a, a bit of a douchebag. Yeah, and, that, <laughs> and he is. <laughs> and he is, yes. Uh, Sam's portrayal of his father was was not hyperbolic by any sense. He was absolutely horrible, and I loved it when his uh, wife actually stood up to him and, and 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 kind of left the dinner table. So so it was. Um, I thought it was very interesting, and I'd be interested to kind of get your interpretations a little bit of of that dinner scene because I it was very reminiscent in my mind of the the Bolton dinner scene last season with Sansa. Mm. Um, Ramsey, Roos. Well, it was it was an awkward dinner scene, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we've had a number of those, but that was maybe it's because it's more fresh in the memory. But it was just kind of that, you know, power play almost, particularly from Randall, just kind of putting his son down a bit, like what Roos did to Ramsey in that dinner mm-hmm. scene. 
Um, although, you know, obviously Ramsey and Sam are very, very different <laughs> characters <Yes. laughs> in that sense. Um, but yeah, I was going to ask you, what did you make of the of the interaction between Sam and Randall? I mean, do you think that Sam was actually scared of his father or was he just kind of putting it on almost just to ensure that um, Gilly and, and Sam would kind of be safe, you know? So if Sam didn't actually say anything, then... Randall would, you know, kind of criticize him, but then afterwards would be like, okay, well, they can stay. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I, I saw an interview with, um, John Bradley who plays, or yeah, John Bradley who plays, uh, uh, Sam in the, in, in the show. And he talked about, um, you know, in this moment, we're basically seeing all of Cam, uh, all of Cam, all of Sam's, uh, character development from the past six seasons being just undone. Uh, because he's just he's gone back to his father to his father and and he's basically back where he started and he's just kind of reverting back into the role that he played while he he lived there and so all of his character development all of his ad- advancement all of his advancement have been un- are being undone as uh as Randall Tarley is just berating him there and it's only uh you know Gilly stands up for him she she tries to defend him uh, and it's only at the end of the of, of the episode when he decides, you know what, we're not gonna, you're, you're not gonna stay here. You, you're not gonna stay here. It's it's better if we stay together. That we see, you know, the Sam that we've come to know over the past six seasons uh, reemerge and 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 come back as a as as, a, as the force that we know he can be. You know, he killed a Than, he killed a White Walker. He, you know, he's a he's a he's a badass. Um, it's just a shame that his family would never believe him because he's him. You know, they only know the version of Sam that we see in that dinner scene, who's not the hero that we know him to be. Yeah. Well, some of them don't even believe that white walkers exist. How exactly, funny was that? Yeah. So when you look at what we've seen from the audience's perspective, and yet many people in Westeros going white walkers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What a myth. What, I'll ask you another question about this then in general. You know, now Sam's got that Valyrian steel sword. Mm-hmm. You know, what now? Where is he going to go? Is he going to go to the Citadel and try and just have Gilly tag along? Is he going to go to the north and give the sword to the uh, to the Night's Watch? Um, and where does his father fit into all of this? You know, Randall Targaryen is not really just going to sit there and think... Yeah, this sword, which has been in the family for 500 years. <laughs> you just take it, Sam, when he made a very you know, clear point in the dinner scene of saying you will never have that sword. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Sam's obviously going to continue on on his journey. And I, and I think it's safe to say that uh, Randall Tartley, after this incident, will want to to hunt him down, to search him down. And he'll get he'll finally see what his son actually became. Uh, when they ha- are forced to face off, and I wouldn't be surprised if Sam has to has to end his father, which is uh, becoming more and more frequent on this series. Apparently, um, uh, you know, obviously we had Ramsey and Roos and and all that, so it it would be uh it, it would be interesting to see to see uh to see the, how that would play down play out. Um, obviously he needs the valyrian steel sword we know the power that those uh, that those have when fighting a white walker they can kill a white walker uh, as we saw last season so that i think you know all of this felt like it was a, a a lengthy diversion just to get the sword 
You know, it, it felt like we, we took a really long uh, side journey just to just to get that sword. And, and it wasn't a it wasn't a unpleasant one. It wasn't a, a bad, a bad one. But it was. Uh, but it did feel kind of off the beaten path. Well, that's why I wondered whether there was any more significance to what we heard in that dinner scene. And, and, and the, as you say, if the purpose of it was just to get the sword, then, as you say, perhaps the dinner scene could needn't be as a, as long as it was, you could argue. Although I I, I think we both said this but, and agree, but I, I really, really enjoyed that dinner scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, um, it was great. It was, you know... it it kind of pulled your emotional heartstrings at times and you're kind of feeling the intensity of, of the atmosphere of the moment. And I think that's what makes the scene so successful, even though, you know, at the, in the beginning, Sam is just kind of talking there saying, oh, you know, how was the hunt? Um, which is kind of, you know, redundant topics to really talk about at this point, but it, it really did work and they sold it very well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, let's uh let's move on a little bit from there. Uh let's go to Bravos. Let's go to Bravos and we'll we'll close things out at in King's Landing. Uh but we'll go to Bravos where Arya uh sees a more of the play. Um I I really I could just I would love to see just a version uh, just just that that play from start to finish. Um you know, you don't have to cut away uh, to Arya or, or anything, just show the play happening. I, I would love to see what it actually was. Um, and, and so Arya's, uh, she sees the play and she goes backstage to poison Lady Crane, only to uh, to meet up with, only to become face to face with Lady Crane, who, and they have a have a nice little conversation. And then she decides no, she's not gonna she's not gonna kill not gonna kill Lady Crane, and she uh, she saves her from drinking the poisoned uh, the poisoned rum. Uh, she reveals that uh, that uh, the other actress wants her killed, uh, and then we find out that all of this was witnessed by the waif, uh, uh, who uh, goes and tells Jack and Hagar what happened. Uh, but then we see that Arya has gone and retrieved Needle and is basically lying in wait for uh, uh, things to uh, to go down. Uh, this was probably my favorite part of the episode. I, 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 this was really for me, uh, you know, the, obviously the vision stuff was very, very cool. Uh, we'll get to the stuff in King's Landing. That was very interesting. Uh, getting Benjamin back was great. Um, we've talked about the other stuff, you know, it was, it was good, but, but not always, uh, um, it was good, but not always great. This was really like, I was watching this going, yeah, this is, this is it. This is the, this is, this is this, this is the stuff. Uh, what did you think of, of this sequence? I agree with you. It was a very, very interesting one. And the play itself, as you say, is, is equally as interesting. Um, I was looking at the, inside the episode, um, documentary and, uh, I think it was, it was, um, D.B. Wise, who actually said that this is kind of a funhouse mirror representation is the term, it's the phrase that he used to describe the play. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it, to kind of look at how, in a way, Aria becomes extremely endeared to the play at some aspects. You know, she's laughing at, at, at Joffrey, Joffrey's death, 
Um, and you know, and then the other yeah, time I, she's I did, kind of, fi- I, I did love that where she's laughing at Joffrey's death and everybody else is like, <gasps> like everybody else is shocked and she's just there like chuckling. I, I thought that was great. Yeah. I think that, well, I mean, we could also chuckle as well cause we know what Joffrey's really like. Oh yeah. Um, absolutely. And I think it's interesting to kind of look at Arya's intuition in that moment as well. You know, although she wasn't there, she's, been through enough now in her life to actually understand what these characters would have gone through because what because that's what she's been through you know um when later she talks with lady crane about the the joffrey death scene and lady crane says well how would you improve the script and aria says well you know if i was the mother of of, of the child who had died i wouldn't just be sad and crying i'd be angry which is exactly what Cersei was as soon as Joffrey died. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we can't sit there and be like, well, you know, Arya's clearly a good reader of Cersei. <laughs> no, it's it's more the fact that Arya has experienced it because she was watching her father beheaded, for goodness sake. I mean, I don't think, Arya, you know, what was the first thing Arya did then? She tried to get up to the sets and probably would have tried to kill everyone who was on that stage you know that's yep. that's what her list was all about so yep. it's, it's interesting to see how Arya's characters advanced and I think it, it goes to show number one that clearly she she is not no one because of the way she rehatch react she has reacted to the play um but I think it's just interesting to see where her storyline's gonna go I mean uh, just before we, we carry on with, with Arya in in, in that whole storyline the play itself do you think that there's some kind of subliminal message to this play? You know, the fact that we're seeing certain actresses and actors kind of um, have kind of conflicts with each other. Do you think the characters that the actors and actresses play in the play, <laughs> there you go, In the I keep just saying the word play, um, do you yeah, think yeah. that, it's going to be reflective of, of reality in Westeros. You know, the fact that the uh, Cersei character was played by seemingly a nice actress and then you've got the jealous actress who plays Sansa Stark in the play. Um, I mean, what do you think? Um, I don't know. I, 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 I never really got that. I feel like that's... I, I, I never really got that from this. I I, I I think it all comes down to it's it's a bit of, a, you know, like you said, the funhouse mirror effect. Uh, with the with the story that we're seeing and you know maybe it's if anything it's kind of to mess with us as to what what things are actually like you know we know what Cersei is really like and then we see the the woman who's playing her in in the in the production in the theater production uh to avoid the play play thing um and uh and and she is very very nice and so I I think it maybe it's it's just a little bit to to throw us off um but I don't know if it, there's necessarily too, too much there. Yeah, I mean, I am curious, though, because particularly Sansa and Cersei relationship, I think that's very interesting in, in real life. And, yeah, that's you know, true. I could see, you know, Sansa's got a lot of bad blood against Cersei as well. Um, would not surprise me if, if they interact at some point in the not too, too distant future, particularly the way Sansa's looking to kind of recruit and take over the North. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but I am with you that mostly the play was kind of a 
as as I'm just gonna keep using that phrase, the the fun house mirror effect, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but what now, Dominic for Arya? She's she saved Lady Crane from her untimely fate, and she's got to be on the run now. You know, she's being hunted. But you know, the fact that she's being hunted, will it kind of draw out the lessons that she's learned with? The uh, the faceless men and, and and will she actually become the hunter? Yeah, I I think uh, well I think she's gonna have to have the, a showdown with the waif. I think that's going to wrap up this storyline, and I think yeah she'll have to use some of the uh, some of the tactics that she she learned, and I hope that that's something that as she gets more involved with the story, whether she goes to Westeros or she goes to find um, Daenerys. Um, I hope that these are tactics that she uses going forward and that it's not um, that we didn't just spend two seasons or a season and a half uh, with Arya training to be a faceless man just to, you know, kind of drop all of that. That would that would feel a little bit um, disingenuous. So I, I think this is something where she has to to use these skills, uh, not only in, in her upcoming confrontation with the waif, but also um, as she goes forward in the story. Yeah, and I really hope that now she has kind of become the Arya Stark again. She, you know, I mean, she never really was a no one, to be fair. But yeah. <laughs> now she's kind of openly, uh, you know, kind of taken up arms again. You know, with, with, with the sword, and we know that's the kind of symbol of, of her heritage. Now surely she's going to get involved in the bigger storyline. Because we talked about it, I think it might have been last week, about the fact that Arya's storyline is interesting, but it's always seemed a bit away from everything. It's kind, kind at, of least like, with, at least with Daenerys, uh-huh. she was kind of... She's still a focal point because of her arsenal and, and, and her ambitions. But with Arya, it's always been a bit like, okay, so you want to be this, but you kind of want to do it to get names off your list. What do you, what is actually going on? How do you fit into the bigger picture? Well, now we might actually see her get involved big time. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, where do you think she's going to go? Do you think she's going to head west, or do you think maybe she'll she'll try she'll wind up uh, crossing paths with Danny? Not sure. I part of me would like it to be Daenerys and and. Tyrion and Varys because I think that would just be an interesting dynamic to kind of consider um, you kind of then got a Stark, a Targaryen and a Lannister uh, theoretically you'll be working together Yeah. whereas it would also be nice for her to see her go back and see her family but I, you know the, fa- the Starks are all the way up in the north of Westeros I just feel like that would be far too coincidental and we've seen what has happened before when Arya has tried to see her family. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not really ended well. So let's kind of, I, I want to keep her at a distance personally. <laughs> I think she'll be, I think she'll meet up with Daenerys. That's, yeah. that, that's my prediction. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, what do you think is going to happen with Arya? I, I thought for a while that she would wind up heading west again. But I, the more, as the story progresses, I think it, it's becoming more and more clear that she's going to 
or I think it's maybe not clear because there's not really any evidence to support this other than just kind of gut feelings. But it, it seems more and more likely that she uh, she'll wind up with with Daenerys somehow, some way, somehow. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, then you get a, a Stark, a Targaryen, and a Lannister uh, all working together, and that would be um, very, very interesting to see how that would uh, would play out. Um, and then you know the other thing is if Danny becomes a conqueror and becomes the villain, as we've speculated, and and Arya's by her side, how would that? If, presumably, she would eventually reunite with Jon, but as vil as as um as opponents you know we wouldn't get the happy uh happy feel-good reunion that we got with john and sansa which is which is strange which is kind of ironic because john and sansa never really got along we never really even got scenes with them um and yet Arya and john were supposed to be you know really really close and so for them to then have to meet as adversaries would be um quite uh quite ironic quite uh quite difficult quite heartbreaking in a way yeah it would but we've got plenty of time to find out oh yeah no doubt about that oh yeah so let's uh let's move on to king's landing where um basically uh well after tommen goes to see the high sparrow who lets him see marjorie who is now apparently become a devout follower of the faith of the seven and that escalated quickly yeah that it? was yeah that was quite the quite the quick turnaround um outside jamie and and uh um marjorie's father mace tyrell uh they lead the tyrell army up to the sept um jamie goes and can i just jump in quickly yeah. and say um what an interesting speech that was from mace tyrell (laughs) supposed to be a very rousing one but but there was very little reaction to it i have to say yeah even jamie did it rouse you dominic would you have fought with mace tyrell (laughs) after hearing that speech uh i i feel like it was i feel like i was uh, already uh stuck uh fighting for, if i was in that situation i was already stuck fighting for him so it wouldn't uh wouldn't change my opinion one way or the other <laughs> i don't think it was uh particularly rousing that's uh fair to say um but uh basically jamie goes to confront the high sparrow uh and it looks like things are about to get really crazy only to find out that marjorie was able to get tommen to uh convert as well basically and now, basically, it, it, there's no more separation of church and state. Uh, they are, uh, they are as, as Tom says, they are the two pillars of the society. Uh, and so that alone is huge. Then we get a scene where Tom basically fires Jamie from the Kingsguard. Um, and the scene of Jamie throwing off his armor, reminiscent of uh, Barristan Selmy's uh, sequence where he was... Uh, he was fired by Joffrey, uh, and then, uh, and then uh, Cersei basically sends Jaime off to, uh, to to fight in this uh, this upcoming battle to to take back the River Run essentially, um, and Cersei mentions that you know she's going to have that trial by combat and she has the Mountain on her side, um, so that that seems uh, that that there is a bit of interesting foreshadowing, but we'll get to that 
um, in a moment. But first, uh, just overall, all of this craziness, it's not at all the type of craziness we were expecting. Uh, but what did you make of, of these scenes? Very interesting. I Some people have said that they're getting a bit bored by the King's Landing story. I'm the complete opposite. I, whenever we go to King's Landing, I'm always excited because... I know earlier I talked about how I'm a bit disappointed with Daenerys. There's a lot of rhetoric and not much action. But although there is a lot of rhetoric in King's Landing, I do feel like they match it with great character interaction, um, uh, particularly with, with, with the High Sparrow being a kind of centerpiece around it all. I, I really enjoyed the, the confrontation between the High Sparrow Jamie's forces, uh, Jamie and and the, and the Tyrell forces, and just the way it was shot as well, you know, it, it did kind of look on a on a grand scale that something was going to go down. So as you, I think you pointed out, it's, it was a nice little plot twist that uh, you know it was kind of building up. There was going to be this big armed conflict, and then it kind of took it took us by surprise. The, the kind of holy alliance. It took all the characters by surprise as well. That's why I love the line when Mace Tyrell's standing there and, and I was sitting on his horse and turns to Elena and says, what's happening? And she's like, he's beaten us. That's what's happened. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's great because the crown went in there with this massive plan thinking, right, you know, this is it. We're going to get the High Sparrow before we can do anything. And, and the High Sparrow still trumped them. And I think there were kind of signs, early signs, when you look at the fact that when Marjorie was standing there, supposedly about to do her walk of atonement, she had a full flock of hair. Uh-huh. Cersei's hair was yeah, cut that's off. That's a good point. Um, you know, her, her rags, I have to say, looked a lot nicer than Cersei's. <laughs> Um, and she certainly was not nude. And there was um, a lot of faith militant around, almost kind of preparing for some sort of you know, conflict if it was to arise, as much as, you know, we look at it and think, oh, well, they could have just been there to protect her during her walk. But, um, yeah, it was good. And when and when Marjorie, sorry, when the Tyrells arrived, you kind of see the look on Marjorie's face of like, oh, you know, like, why have you come here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's like, I had this now. under control. I had this under control. Yeah, but um, before I give my comment on the whole Holy Alliance thing, what, what what did you make of the sequences we talked about? But also, um, you know, what what is this? What do you think this means now for for the for the crown and and the church, the so called two pillars of society? Now they genuinely are officially the two pillars of society in a public sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um that that's going to be very interesting i mean we as we'll talk about when we talk about next week you know all of this is is cersei's fault she allowed she created the circumstances where this could happen and we saw last season how that affected her um and we still don't know its full effect obviously there's this trial by combat that's coming up the mountain versus i don't know what Oh, what was that? There was a hound in the background. Um, uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a really lame joke. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, um, the uh, so we have we have 
but but we still don't know fully what this means. What exactly is going to happen? Uh, how the High Sparrow is going to influence Tommen and, and what exactly is going on. And then there's the question of how does Mar- Mar- Marjorie truly believe what she's saying? You know, does, does she believe, has she bought into this or is she trying to outmaneuver the High Sparrow? And I think if she is, I wouldn't be surprised if, if her and, and Tommen are, are kind of underestimating him because he's shown time and again that he is uh, ready for each and every uh, twist and turn that they have. Uh, you know, he's, he's been always been a few steps ahead of them. And her pretending to convert, uh, if that's what fools him, then that, that seems like a bit of a, a, bit of a, a letdown. So I, I, think he, I think he knows exactly what's going on. But he's going to exert as much power as he can until, uh, you know, until things do eventually blow up. Because we have to assume that they will in some way. Uh, things will uh, things will get really bad uh, in King's. Well, exactly. I mean, it's that, that whole saying of kind of digging a hole. Well, I mean, at the moment we are digging a very, very big hole. Or, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're playing a game of Jenga and we're just kind of waiting for it to all topple down. And, you know, at the moment, it's just about standing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, King's Landing being the, uh, the kind of the metaphor I'm looking at there. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do think that it is going to all go down at some point soon. Um, and the fact that we, we believed going into this scene uh, the, the kind of uh, Jamie and the army and, and the High Sparrow, that things could go down. In fact, it was a legitimate belief, I think, tells us how far we've come now. And now we've got the Holy Alliance. Whilst on the surface it could look like, oh, well, this is peacetime, I think that could actually be the spark for violence and an outburst because obviously, uh, you know, the crown is severely weakened from this, particularly perception wise. They went to step in there to kind of stamp down their authority. And in fact, they left that place with left less authority than when they came. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, which is quite, which is almost baffling to think. But, mm-hmm. you know, Jamie's standing there trying to claim that he is representing the views of, of, of Tom, Tom and Baratheon. And then all of a sudden, Tom is actually there. Yeah. Uh, and that, that actually was... dismissing everything that Jamie was saying. Mm-hmm. It's quite quite a little interesting turnaround there mm-hmm. oh yeah it was it was a very it was very well played it was a very good uh very good twist by the show i thought they did a and really also good job what that. did you make of the um the jamie being dismissed scene yeah i i, I loved it i thought <laughs> i thought it was uh i thought it was uh, i thought it was great i thought it was very um it was, it was very well done um you know it, it will be interesting to see how uh uh, you know what happens next to Jamie Lannister. You know he's a character who's been on quite the journey. Um, you have to wonder where his story is going to end up. We know that he, uh, you know, even though he can be quite awful, as we saw in season one, we know that he is mostly a good person. I think, and you know, we we saw in the flashback, we saw him killing the Mad King, and you know, we we've seen. Um, you know, with his, his scenes with Brienne, we've seen some, uh, we've seen another side of him and presumably those two are going to reunite. Uh, they're both headed for river run. So that, that could be interesting to see that. And, and who knows, maybe he could even switch sides. 
You know, you, you mentioned Arya, Tyrion, and Danny. You have a, a Stark, uh, a, a, a Stark, a Tyrion, <laughs> a Stark, a Lannister, and a Targaryen. Well, if John, John's parents are who we think they are, um, then you have Sansa. And what if, what if, in an ultimate twist of, of fate, what if Jamie Lannister joins up with them? Then you have a Stark, a, a Targaryen, and a, and a Lannister, and you have this sort of weird. Uh, these weird trifectas of, of people fighting against each other. That, well, could, not that could be interesting. Of, yeah, definitely interesting and certainly not out of, out of the question either. I mean, based on what we've seen of the phrase over the course of Game of Thrones, you know, would you really want to side with them? Not, not really, really they've, sure. They've got that great bridge, though. <laughs> that's a, that's a, it's a great bridge. Everybody needs that bridge. And then, yeah, so. but you know, Lannisters and the River Run forces against the Freys. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's true. That's I, true. I think that uh, you know, and if all of the Freys are, if all the Freys army is hanging around River Run, if they do wipe it out, then what's Walter Frey really got? He has not got too much left. Yeah, that's true. That is true. His impending death would be quite nice, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I think I think uh, now we should uh, we should move on and, and look ahead at at next week, wouldn't you say? I agree. All right. So uh, next week, episode seven, the broken man, and uh, we've got the preview here. So let's take a listen to that. As long as I'm standing. Ancient houses face collapse because of your stupidity. I did what I had to do to survive. I will always be a Stark. We're gonna take back the Iron Islands. Then we'll get revenge. He died for us. If we are not willing to do the same for him, we're cowards. The real war is between the living and the dead. And make no mistake, the dead are coming. One of the things that I get from this preview, and this is kind of random, but it feel, it shows me how much better paced this season is than last. Mm. You know, last season we were talking about, oh, we're just, we got to get to that Battle of Winterfell. We're getting to that Battle of Winterfell. And, it, you know, it took until episode 10 and, you know, we saw a little bit of it and it was kind of a letdown. Um, but it, you know, the season had felt like it was building up to that. Now, obviously, the hard home fight was spectacular, so that was really the the big uh, battle we 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 got that season. Um, but this season, we we're, we're again we're building up to this showdown at Winterfell. And the thing about John recruiting the wildlings is something that we've talked about since before the season began. And here we are in episode seven and we're finally just getting to see that. And it doesn't feel like finally, it just kind of feels like, yeah, that's where this should happen. Yeah, we have to, that's something we got to do before we can get to the other thing. It doesn't feel like they're stalling. It doesn't feel like this is taking way longer than it should have. Everything this season has moved at a much better um, and much more consistent pace, I think. And, and, and I, I kind of got that just, you know, watching this trailer and, and going, yeah. 
Yeah, we, we, the wild links. It is something that we, uh, we haven't done that yet. We need to do that. It, it didn't mm. feel uh, didn't feel rushed. Um, I don't know. Do well, you... it's smart, isn't it? I mean, I, I agree with you, and and I also like the fact that in a way, the trailer's central focus really is is seems to be on at least perhaps initially on what's going on in River Run, yeah. a place that we haven't actually been to for a very long time, and yet. I'm actually really excited to see what's going to go on there. I mean, we've actually oh, yeah. seen nothing of that really for about three seasons. Well, and you know, or, um, the the blackfish there. He says, you know, as as long as I'm standing, this the war is not over. It's it's you know, Game of Thrones is, is another thing that's unique about about this series or series, or maybe not unique, but um, you know, out out outside of the box about this series is that the war ended. The, the war ended two seasons ago. These the last two seasons have been dealing with the repercussions of the War of the Five Kings. You know, the, the War of the Five Kings, if you look at the books, that was over after three books. It was after over after, um, really after uh, four, after three seasons, I guess, with the uh, death of Rob Stark. And yeah, sure, Balon Greyjoy was still k- k- kicking around until, uh, until the end. But the war, the big, big parts of the war were over after three three and a half seasons and we've been dealing with the aftermath since then and you know people who can't let the fact that or can't get over the fact that they lost and stannis and balon and and that, and that kind of stuff but it, it it's interesting that the way that the story the story is structured um that it begins with this massive war and then the war ends and the story but the story's not over you know usually when the war ends the story is over yeah, and that is interesting to kind of see. We are finally seeing the repercussions of, you know, what if 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 this happened in season four, uh, I, I think some people would be quite happy because you can kind of see the initial reaction. But mm-hmm. I'm actually quite glad to see it in season six because it means that as an audience member, I feel like I can believe that the Blackfish has now become a force to be reckoned with. Because mm-hmm. if you had this you know, like five episodes after the Red Wedding, I'd be like, well, you know, Rob's forces were all decimated and destroyed. There's no way that Blackfish is going to recruit all of those forces. Whereas now, you know, we've had a few, we've had a couple of seasons that have gone by. Um, it makes sense now that he was able to kind of galvanize the forces together to actually create uh, an army. So, I mean, before we go on to the other bits we've seen in a trailer, what do you think about how this is all going to play out? There are a lot of characters. Yeah. Who are Ron is uh, seen in a trailer again. Yep. <laughs> and we know that Brienne's going down there. Yep. You know, what's, how do you think it's all going to play and, and Edmure Tully was another character we saw there with a knife to his throat. So how do you, how do you think it's all going to play out? Oh, I think I, I, I honestly, you know, the last few last few weeks we've kind of had maybe a bit of a sense of where some of some of the stuff is going i have no idea i i'm looking at this and and you know is is jamie going to fight fight these guys are these guys going to side uh you know obviously there's there's going to be there's got to be some kind of confrontation but i i i i really i don't really have a prediction i don't really have an idea of where this is going do you do you have a do you have a feeling on on how this is going to play out? Oh, it's the mystery excites me, and that is the good thing with Game of Thrones is that we don't have all the answers. But oh, what do I think is going to happen here? I will tell you what, someone's going to die. 
in this battle. At least I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm looking. I think there's going to be some sort of reunion with Jamie and Brienne, and yes. I think that's gonna that's gonna that yeah. You know, they made a point of Jamie going away now. He's not going to be in King's Landing. I don't see this as being you know a one episode thing where. Jamie and the phrase win, and then Jamie goes back to King's Landing. I, I, you alluded to it earlier. I think he's going to go with Brienne, and I think Bronn might tag along with them. That would um, be fun. That would be fun. It, it, and as far like, as the phrase go, mm-hmm. um, I actually think they're going to beat the Blackfish. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Oh. I hate, to, I hate to say it, but I feel like the phrase and the Lannisters are going to, are going to beat him, which would be a shame. But it yeah. would be kind of Game of Thrones esque at this point to be like, yeah, you think you think the war isn't over? Well, now it is. Yeah, <laughs> very decisively. Yeah, that that. This... What do you do? You, what do you? Who do you think's going to win in the battle then? Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to put my money on the Blackfish. I'm going to put my money on on him. I I I, uh, I wouldn't be the. Um, you know, like you said, it, it would be very Game of Thrones for him to lose. Um, but this season has been a little bit different. This season has started to give back. We've start, started to see some payoff for our heroes. So maybe this will continue that trend, or maybe it will buck that trend uh, in spectacular fashion. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with continue just because it it seems like um, that's how things have been going. Um, but you you mentioned that Jamie is out of King's Landing. Uh, we do see see King's Landing in in this uh, in these scenes or in the in this preview, and uh, it looks like we'll be seeing a little bit of a, another some more verbal sparring between Cersei and Olena, which that's always that's always great. Um, we'll see how how that plays out. Cersei's got the mountain with her. Um, uh, is, isn't that a foreboding moment though? I mean, because Olena's just sitting there basically berating Cersei for being an idiot because she's pretty much caused all of this. Yeah. yeah. What was the line? Something like our oh, ancient houses are on the verge of collapse now. Yeah. You know, it, it, Cersei has got a lot to answer for, and I think it's about time that she kind of gets put in her place a bit now. Well, yeah, I mean, like, and she's got that. Like I said, she's got that trial of of combat, uh, that co- trial trial by combat that's coming up. That's bound to happen sooner or later, uh, and and I think that's where she'll get her comeuppance. I think. We're in for at least another episode of her playing the game uh, and possibly, you know, maybe succeeding at it and, uh, you know, progressing herself a little bit. Um, but I do think that ultimately uh, she's going to she's going to crash and burn when that trial by combat happens. Um, mm. What do you think about the, the the verbal sparring? Do you think it can escalate? Do you think there's going to be finally a bit of mountain action well i think someone's gonna die in king's landing next next episode i don't know i don't know because lady olena she does have her own troops behind her in that scene she does have some guards there so you know maybe so maybe some guards will go down uh protecting her if if cersei tries to move like that although that would be uh that would be fast i would i would almost prefer her to try something like that where she tries to kill lady olena can't and then we have to deal with the repercussions of that as well. Mm. we'll see. There's a lot of excitement there. Yeah. King's Landing. It's building and building. Yeah. 
Um, uh, then we see, uh, then we see in the the trailer. Unless, sorry, did you have more to say about King's Landing? No, no, not no. at all. All right. So uh, we see uh, Sansa uh, out doing some recruiting for uh, for the uh, for the upcoming battle. Again, John also doing re- the recruiting, only with uh, the wildlings this time. So it looks like we'll see the Starks out there uh, doing doing some uh, some visits to these great northern houses to uh, try and rally up some support. Yeah, uh, put, put, putting in the old posters for the letterbox. Yep, exactly. Know, like election day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, we see Theon and Yara uh, having a drink. Now we we've seen this um this city before, correct? The bridge this is Volantis? Yes. Yeah. This is very reminiscent of that. If it isn't yeah. Volantis, I'd be shocked. Yeah, so it looks like they've headed uh they've headed in a, a, a easterly direction. Mm. Uh, well, so that should be interesting. But Although, they're not talking about the east, are yeah, they? Yeah, no, they're talking about getting revenge. So their 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 storyline seems to be diverging a little bit. Well, because she talks about getting the Iron Islands, mm-hmm. but then she says about revenge. So I wonder whether she means Ramsay after mm. that. Yeah. It's a yeah good revenge point. for what he did to Theon. That's possible, yeah. Although I think I think uh Sansa's gonna strike that blow. <laughs> I think uh I think she's gonna get that one. I will will certainly I'm very curious to find out what they're going to do because I'm a little bit shocked that she's already talking about retaking the Iron Islands. They just fled that place well, they, they, because they lost the election. <laughs> I mean, it's probably okay. They've got all the ships, and I know Yoren's, I guess, not got much in terms of his arsenal. But you know, what what does it say if he got elected and they didn't? Yeah, yeah. So they they're they're uh, yeah they 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 don't like they don't like the. Uh, the response they've got it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, where they're going uh because it, it in a way it, it almost would have made more sense for her to win win the election win win the king's moot uh and you know set sail to to help help danny that would have been the, the quicker path and so since we're we're going on a, a bit of a diversion here again the question is always has to be raised is what is the point of this? And and that's, you know, that was the question we were asking a little bit about the um, Sam and Gilly scenes. Um, and, and it's the question that I, I hope that they, they don't avoid when it comes to Arya. Uh, you know, it's what is the point of this little side journey? What is, what is it going to contribute to the overall story? And, you know, they, they left out the Greyjoys for a long time. And the fact that they brought them back, uh, I think is uh, is is proof that they will, uh, they will uh, is that, that that there is something there that they ha- they will have an impact on the end of the story. Absolutely, and we'll find out a little bit more about them next episode. Yeah, absolutely, and I think with that. We will wrap things up for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Just before we go, we have just enough time for final thoughts and score out of 10 for Blood of My Blood. So, Karen, over to you. Final thoughts and score out of 10. Final thoughts and score out of 10. I'm going to give this episode an 7 out of 10. I, I think it was still a solid episode. It wasn't one of the best of the season. I feel there was a... There was a lot of exposition, not so much action. 
uh, you know, I really enjoyed the, the Aria, King's Landing stuff in particular, seeing the brand visions and, and the reveal of cold hands to, you know, book readers. I know that's what Benjamin Stark is now called in, in the books. Um, so that was big news. And, you know, I, I'm really enjoying the, the kind of character interplay that's going on at the moment in, in Westeros. It's very, very fascinating. But on the other hand, the, um, the Daenerys stuff felt was a little bit shoehorned in. I didn't really find her ratty in speech that inspiring. Um, I didn't find it that interesting. The Sam stuff I thought was pretty good. Um, but I know we talked about how perhaps it could seem just a little bit out of place in terms of what's going on around the world of Westeros. But I, you know, I, I, I just sit here and think, well, I did enjoy it. Although, in a way, there wasn't much action, there wasn't any deaths. There was, there was a progression of story. There, the, the character's journey advanced. And so for that, I'm always happy. I. I don't mind episodes like this as long as it furthers the story. And no matter what you say, particularly with the King's Landing stuff, that story has certainly progressed, just not the way that we expected. So, yeah, that's my rating and my review. Over to you, Dominic. Final thoughts and score out of 10. Yeah, I'll give this one a a, a 7. I I think I agree with a lot of what you said, that, you know, I don't mind episodes that that need to, to slow down and and set things up for the future. Uh, and I think this episode did that and, and did that well in, in most instances. Uh, obviously not the most action-packed episode, but not every episode needs to be. So uh, this this week, uh, you know, a lot of good stuff. As I mentioned, I really enjoyed the Arya stuff. I thought that was, was really good. The King's Landing stuff was excellent as well as was uh, the Bran and, 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 and Mira and Benjen stuff. Uh, that was a like I said, fun reveal. Uh, nice to see him brought back. Uh, you know, I, I'm with you on the on the Danny stuff, and, and uh, you know, as much fun as the Sam and, and Gilly stuff was, that that felt like a long detour. That felt like a long detour. So I, I hope there's a there's more to that. Uh, but yeah, seven out of ten. Uh, so yeah, so that will wrap things up. Before we go, uh, Kieran, do you want to let folks know what's going on uh, with Expression FM this week? Yeah, I've got my I believe it'd be my final show actually of the term next week. And my show runs on Tuesdays from 12 till 2 p.m. GMT time. It's just a current affairs show where I kind of talk about what's going on in the news uh, at the moment and just play a lot of very good songs, you know, kind of the contemporary club classics uh, that you, you, you're kind of hearing at your nightclubs or on your radio. Uh, I know. Drake and uh, and Justin Timberlake have, have, have kind of featured heavily lately. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what the show's all about. So if you want to tune into that, just go onto our website. Uh, the website is www.expression.fm. You can like us on Facebook. Facebook page is www.facebook.com/expressionfm, or you can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at expressionfm. Over to you, Dominic, with what's going on in Star Wars. Yeah, so uh, uh, as always, you want to check out the Star Wars Underworld podcast. Uh, it's recorded live Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on channel1138.com and then released the following day 
to iTunes so you can listen to it on Friday on your way to work or while you're working or on your way home or way to school when you should be paying attention class you know all that whatever and however you listen to podcasts uh so you definitely want to check that out kieran's going to be guest hosting this week uh gonna have a lot of fun talking about some of those rogue one rumors that are going around and uh, what is really going on there we will uh try and provide some answers as uh, we discuss this uh this week uh so yeah check that out uh starwarsunderworld.com uh, and uh, don't forget to, to keep up with us. Just uh, you, the best way to do that is on social media. Just search for the Watchers of Westeros on Facebook, and you'll find us. Uh, we're at Watcher Westeros on Twitter. I'm at Dominic J25. Kieran is at C Duggan Six. And uh, the iTunes feed does seem to be uploading new episodes. The backlog uh, is not there, so you'll have, to, you'll have to go to the Facebook page to find that. But it is uploading new episodes so if you want to get your episodes that way go to itunes and search for the watchers of westeros a game of thrones podcast or just watchers of westeros and i bet if you search game of thrones you'd find us but you'll probably have to scroll through a bunch uh so uh yeah definitely do that and if you have time and want to leave us a uh a five-star review we would greatly appreciate that and thank you to everybody with your with your patience on the itunes thing uh like i said at least the the new episodes are going up there uh the uh, old ones uh you'll have to get through uh, other means uh and that, that's very easy to do like i said just go to the facebook page uh yeah and so that will do it we'll be back next week to discuss the broken man cannot wait to do it all again so long for now It's a wrap. It's a wrap.